Hello, my name is Mariana, and thank you for clicking this button and joining us today. I'm so glad that you're here uh, for this message that Pastor Alan is bringing. And I just pray that wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, however you're engaging it in this message, whatever has happened in your day today, that you can open your heart and receive what God wants to speak to you today. We're looking forward for this time together. And stick around at the end because Pastor Dudley and I are gonna be talking to Pastor Allen and continuing to unpack this message that he has for us today. So here's the message, enjoy. Hey, Christ community, uh, so glad to be joining you uh, today. Uh, thanks uh, for, for being a part of this and letting me be a part of your spiritual journey. And happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. <clears throat> so if you were to describe the world in which we live with one word, what word would you use? You know, when, when I think about what people are experiencing in our world right now, <clears throat> the word that comes to my mind is brokenness. We see it all around us. We experience, our, experience it ourselves, broken relationships that don't seem to be getting any better, broken hearts and minds where anxiety and despair have taken up residence, broken lives that have been impacted by the choices we've made, the failures we've experienced. So many people are experiencing brokenness. So in the midst of this reality, I want us to think about a very important question. How does God respond to our brokenness? What is Jesus' heart posture toward brokenness, either in our lives or the lives of people around us? What is his heart posture toward someone whose life is a mess? See, a lot of people assume that God distances himself from our failures and our brokenness, that he tends to avoid us when our lives are a mess. But is that the case? Well, today we're looking at a passage that's gonna definitively answer this question for us. How does Jesus respond to our brokenness? If you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to John chapter four. We're walking, um, we're in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the book of John. And today we come to an amazingly powerful passage where Jesus encounters a woman who has experienced profound brokenness. Okay, in, in the first few verses of chapter four, John tells us that Jesus had decided to leave Jerusalem and to head back up north to Galilee. So we're told in verse four, now he had to go through Samaria. And when John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, he's communicating something beyond a geographical reality. He's communicating something about Jesus' heart. Even though the shortest route from Judea to Galilee was to go through Samaria, many Jews, especially rabbis like Jesus, chose to take a longer route and go around Samaria because of a deep-seated hatred for Samaritans. They despise Samaritans. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment. So the reality is, technically speaking, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to. He chose to. Now keep that in mind as we keep reading. Verse five, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Okay, so Jesus is resting from the journey. 
It's noon, so this is during the heat of the day, and he has nothing to draw water with. And the Samaritan woman comes to this well to draw water, and Jesus asks her if she can give him a drink, which seems like a pretty simple, normal thing for someone to ask. But in actuality, it wasn't. Jesus was doing something here that intentionally broke all sorts of social and religious norms. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I mean, this woman is shocked that Jesus would ask her for a drink. Why? Well, two reasons. First is because she's a woman. Women in that culture were viewed as property. They had no voice. They had no rights. They were viewed by men as being less than in terms of importance and value, really a thing to objectify and possess. So for Jesus to ask this woman for a drink of water, that was unheard of. In fact, later in this passage, when the disciples return, John tells us in verse 27 that they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. This word translated surprise literally means astonished. These guys are shocked that Jesus was interacting with a woman. Now, the second reason this woman is surprised that Jesus asks her for a drink is because she is a Samaritan. And as John says in verse nine, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Even though Samaritans worshiped the same God and considered the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, their scriptures, the Jews rejected Samaritans as ethnically impure. They, they refused to allow Samaritans to worship with them. They viewed them as less than. So no wonder this woman is shocked that Jesus is asking her for a drink of water. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. Two strikes against her in that culture. But Jesus obviously isn't impacted by social or ethnic barriers. He, he chose to go through Samaria. And now here he is choosing to speak with this woman. And he's not simply interested in, or he's not interested in simply asking her for a drink. He continues the conversation. Verse 10, if you knew, Jesus is talking here, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now this conversation is so fascinating and revealing. We're, we're now getting to know more about this woman. And we see here, we learn here that she has a sordid past, right? She's been married five times and is currently living with a man who's not her husband. Now, a lot of times, People read this story and they read this part and they jump to the conclusion that this woman is a woman of loose morals, of, of that she's sexually promiscuous. But we need to be careful here. We don't know anything about her previous marriages. 
Maybe she was initially married to an older man in an arranged marriage, and then he died, and she was left with no means of income. Maybe she was in a marriage where she was treated like property and was abused and then kicked out. In that culture, a man could divorce his wife for any reason, for burning the toast, for you know, having bad breath or whatever. And, and yes, maybe she had committed adultery. We don't know specifics, but this is very likely a woman, very likely a woman who has not only experienced grief, she has also been abused and mistreated. A woman society has discarded. She is broken. This is perhaps why she's getting water at noon, a a detail that John intentionally mentions. Why go in the heat of the day? Well, probably because she was an outcast, rejected not only by other men, but also by the women in that community. Perhaps they viewed her as a problem, as a marriage breaker, a failure. This is a woman whose life has been hard and difficult. This is a woman who has experienced pain and heartache and rejection. This is a woman who has made some mistakes in her life and probably carries a boatload of shame. This is her life. This is her situation. Socially speaking, Jesus had every reason to avoid her like everyone else did, which is what makes this encounter so incredibly powerful. Jesus doesn't avoid her and he doesn't condemn her for her failures, for her life choices, or for the situation she currently finds herself in. He acknowledges those things, but he doesn't condemn her for those things. No, he actually moves toward her in her brokenness. This is so important for us to understand about the heart of Jesus. Jesus sees beneath our brokenness. He sees beneath the moral failures and the hurts and the shame. He sees what she really longed for. He sees her thirst. He speaks to her thirst. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, notice Jesus isn't focusing on her sin. He's not focusing on her failures. He could have, but he doesn't. He focuses on her thirst, what she longs for. She is thirsty for love. She is thirsty for acceptance. She longs to be seen and valued rather than avoided and ignored. So he invites her to drink of his living water, his life. Friends, this is how Jesus responds to our brokenness. This is how he responds to our failures, to our hurts, to our shame and our sin. He doesn't respond with condemnation. Instead, he urges us to look beneath to see what we're really thirsty for. You see, beneath every failure, beneath every sin, beneath every addiction and every experience of rejection is a deeper longing, a longing for love, a longing to be seen, a longing for value, a longing for acceptance, a longing for purpose. In other words, a longing for life. This is what Jesus is offering to us in our brokenness. He wants us to realize that our brokenness is actually an opportunity to drink deeply of him. I mean, think about this. Every sin we commit, is ultimately rooted in a longing that we have in our heart. And we're trying to slake that thirst with things that don't ultimately satisfy. 
the things that actually rob us of life. Sin, I've said this before, sin is not just breaking some rule. I mean, sin is our attempt to find life in something other than God, something that ultimately can't provide the life that we long for. There is a vivid description of this in Jeremiah chapter two. Jeremiah is a book in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is a prophet. And and God is confronting the people with their sin. But notice how God describes this. Jeremiah 2, 13. My people, God says, have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What a vivid picture of what sin sin is. It is us trying to build our own cisterns to hold water that we think will bring us life but our cisterns are broken. They are leaking, which is why Jesus, when Jesus comes, when, when, when Jesus encounters this woman whose life has been an endless string of, 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 string of, of, of stream of pain and grief and rejection and emptiness, Jesus offers her living water that will result in life. I mean, this is Jesus' heart toward us in our brokenness. And I wonder, is this what we perceive to be Jesus' attitude towards us in the aftermath of our failure and our pain? Do we realize his heart to move toward us in our brokenness? And secondly, is this how we view the people around us or or the people in our world who are living lives that are far from God, who are pursuing things that are immoral? Do we see these people in our world? Do we see them through a lens of condemnation? Or do we see them through the lens of thirst, realizing that they're thirsty for the same things we're thirsty for. They're just trying to satisfy that thirst in things that don't satisfy. I mean, how might that simple shift in perspective change the way you and I view and respond to and feel about other people who are living sinful lives. I mean, rather than condemnation, our hearts would be filled with compassion towards them and a desire to point them toward the only one who can satisfy their thirst and give them life, which is what Jesus does in this passage. He sees this woman's thirst and he offers her new life in him. And she can't believe it. Check out her response. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, some people see in her response a desire to change the subject since Jesus has just brought up her, her past. But I'm not sure that's what's happening. When you look at what she's asking, it continues to reveal a thirst in her. She wants to meet God. She wants to worship God, but she doesn't think he is accessible to someone like her, someone from Samaria. The Jews made it clear that the only worship they deemed acceptable had to happen in Jerusalem and Samaritans weren't welcome there. So Jesus answers her question by speaking to that longing. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, wor- we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit 
and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is so powerful. This woman is uncertain whether her worship as a Samaritan, whether her worship is legitimate because the Jews say it isn't, it's not in the right location. And Jesus says, look, the time is coming and is now here. The time's actually here when worship isn't limited to a temple. It's not limited to a specific geographical location or a particular ethnic group. No, Jesus says that genuine worship is about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's about people whose hearts and minds are, are full of love for God and, in, and, and so full of love for God that in response, they are joyfully surrendering to him and, and honoring him and praising him. See, that's worship. And Jesus is saying that kind of worship is accessible to everyone. It is not about our ethnicity or our gender or our social status or our religious practice or our experience of failure and brokenness. No, it is about our heart before God. It's about a spiritual experience in which we joyfully align our hearts and minds and will with who God is. And we give ourselves wholly to him in praise and surrender. That's where true life is found. That's where our thirst is satisfied. And Jesus says, this is the kind of person the father seeks. This is the kind of person he is looking for. He longs for people to worship him in spirit and truth. In other words, he longs for genuine worshipers, not those who just sing songs, sing the songs or go through the motions or get all concerned about this ritual or that rule or whatever. No, he longs for those who love him with all their hearts and minds and who joyfully surrender themselves to him. This is where life is found. See, Jesus is offering this broken, abused, ostracized, vulnerable woman life, genuine life, a life of complete acceptance and access to God. And he, Jesus, is the means through which this can happen. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus is declaring to this woman that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who is able to satisfy her longing for genuine life and our longing as well. John tells this story so that all of us can experience this This is how Jesus responds to our brokenness. He moves towards us, urging us to look beneath to see what we're really thirsty for. And in that place, to find life in loving and worshiping him. See, that is the good news of the gospel that is available to everyone. Now, that would be an okay place to end the story, but it doesn't end there. There's there's another significant aspect of this story that we dare not miss. This is so cool. Check this out, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
This woman is so excited about encountering Jesus and experiencing his love that she leaves her water jar, the very reason she had initially come to the well, and she runs back to her village that had rejected her, and she joyfully tells her story. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the people come out to the well to see Jesus for themselves, and many believed in him. I love that. I love that. She didn't have some Bible college degree. She didn't take some class on how to share her faith the right way. She didn't have her life together. No, she just shared her story of what Jesus had done for her. And that had a huge impact on people. I wonder sometimes if we make sharing the gospel too complicated. Well, what if all it really is about is, is us being so impacted by Jesus that we want everyone else to experience him as well. And so we look for opportunities to simply, simply tell people what he has done for us. But what if I don't know what to say? Well, that, that's okay. Do the next best thing. Invite them to explore Jesus for themselves. I mean, that's what she did. She didn't have even close to a full understanding, a theological understanding of who Jesus is. She just invited them to check him out for themselves, and they did. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. I mean, notice what just happened. This woman's story moved these people to explore Jesus for themselves. And then when they listened to Jesus, they became Christ followers. You know, sometimes we fall into a trap of thinking that the whole responsibility for someone coming to Christ rests on us. And so we need to make sure that we share all the key points. We gotta share all four laws and get to the end and ask for a decision. But that's often not how it works. I mean, look, everyone is in process. And we get to play a crucial part in their spiritual journey. I was talking with someone from our church the other day, and someone who, like all of us, has her struggles. And so in the course of our conversation, she starts telling me about the various people from work who she has invited to church. And they love it. And so they're now growing in their relationship with Jesus simply because of an invitation from this woman. Don't underestimate the impact you can have simply by sharing your own story or by inviting people to come to you, to come with you to church or to Alpha. In fact, I love how Jesus affirms the value of these simple things. Look at, look at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. See, notice the analogy Jesus uses to describe how evangelism happens, that of sowing and reaping. Sowing seed and then reaping. When we share 
our story with someone, when we invite someone to church, when, when someone at work shares about a struggle in their family and we offer to pray for them right there, when we host a block party to get to know our neighbors, we are doing something that Jesus says is very significant. We are sowing seed. We're sowing seed. Who knows what will happen with that seed? But it could be that somewhere in the future, after that seed is germinated, that person may step across a line of faith and someone else is there to reap the blessing of that. But all of us played a part. The sower and the reaper are working together. And look, to me, this principle came across a, a number of years ago, this passage. It has been a game changer for me in terms of us sharing our faith. We don't have to take responsibility for the entire process in someone's life. Our job is to sow seed and to then patiently look for opportunities to reap in God's timing. I was talking with a businessman the other day who told me this analogy about how he views his work um, and his life, his, his life in general. Um, he said, I love this. He said, I see myself like a person who's carrying a huge bag of seed and my bag has a hole in it. It's the bottom of the bag, it's got a hole in it. And so wherever I go, I'm just spreading seed. At the grocery store, in a meeting at work, in a conversation with someone, I'm just looking for opportunities to sow lots of seed. Man, I love that. I love that perspective. That's all that Jesus asks us to do. Sow seed wherever you are, wherever I am, wherever we are. Look for opportunities to love people, to minister to people to share our story, to invite people to explore Jesus. And in doing that, we get to partner with this Jesus who lovingly meets us in our brokenness and invites us to be conduits of his love to the broken, thirsty world all around us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a God who meets us in our brokenness. Seriously, thank you, God for being a God who doesn't avoid us, but you actually move toward us in our brokenness and you offer us what we truly long for, what we're really thirsty for. So as your heart is quiet before the Lord, where, where does Jesus want to meet you right now? Are there places of brokenness, of pain, of failure, of heartache where Jesus wants to move towards you in that? So let him do that. What are you thirsty for in that place? And let Jesus fill that thirst For some of you, maybe this is the first time to come to Jesus, which is awesome. Open your heart to him as Savior and Lord. He died on the cross for you. He gave his life for you. He loves you. He wants to satisfy your longing and forgive your sin. So look to him. Say yes to him. Receive him right now. Just open your heart to him. Jesus, we are thirsty for you. You alone provide 
the living water that springs up into life in our hearts. We love you. We worship you with all of our being. <clears throat> Thank you for meeting us in our brokenness. So now I want you to just take a moment and let's just open our hearts to the people around us. Who around you is thirsty? Who is thirsty? Maybe someone in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor that's struggling. Maybe it's a person at work. But just open your, your spiritual eyes to see people around you the way Jesus does. What people are you looking down on or whatever? Just think about that. What are they thirsty for? And just take a moment and pray for them right now. Just pray for them by name. If you know them by name or if it's a group of people, would you pray for them? God, we pray for the broken people around us, that we would see them the way you do, not through the lens of condemnation, but through the lens of thirst. What are they thirsty for? And God, we pray for opportunities to sow seed, Lord, that our bag, the bag we're carrying, it would have a hole in it and we would be sowing seed wherever we go, God. Or, or perhaps inviting them to a small group or a worship gathering, whatever. Lord, thank you again for meeting us in our brokenness and thanks for inviting us to partner with you in bringing your hope to a broken and thirsty world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's let's chat about this. There, I have so many notes on the <laughs> message, lots of things to think oh, about. Oh, it's great. It's a good message. Can, yeah. Can I start with something? So you use the word uh, moving toward yeah. when you're talking about Jesus coming to her. And just those two words, they just that I can go just on that because it's so inspiring this idea of moving toward and what where my mind was going is how many things we don't move toward not only in relationship but especially when it comes to brokenness in our own lives like wherever it's messy it's broken it's difficult we move away if relationships are difficult or people that you know in this polarized world and I think there used to be a couple of categories that we could stereotype of the the people or whatever people groups. Now it's everywhere and there's so many layers yeah. of this polarized anyway that we can move away rather than moving toward. But even within our own hearts, when mm -hmm. there's pain and trauma and hurt, we want to run away from it. And Jesus' movement is, no, let's go there in a very gentle and very inviting, filled with grace, he invite, he goes there yeah. and he, he moves toward and then he invites her because the, here's the other thing mm -hmm. too. Like, why did he not lead with the last phrase, I'm the Messiah? At the start. Why? Yeah. There were like three movements in the story until he finally gets to, I'm the son of God. And that could have been the first one and just let's cut to the chase. No, that's that's not the only point. It's like, hey, I see you. Yeah. Let's go call your husband. He already knew she didn't have him, but he's inviting her. Can we can we talk about this? 
It's beautiful. I, yeah. It's mm-hmm. so it's so powerful the way he does that. And you're right. There's a moving. I, I forget where I read this in relationships. We can either move away or we can move against mm. or we can move towards. So there really are multiple options even in our mm-hmm. society today. We can move away. We just ignore people or That's we right. move against people. Yeah. But the power of what Jesus does here is, or, or we can do it ourselves too. We move away from ourselves, just get distracted, right. or we move against ourselves. We kind of hate ourselves, that kind of thing. What Jesus does is he moves towards this woman. And it is. It's such a powerful relational and spiritual paradigm for how God approaches us mm-hmm. and how he invites us to right. approach right. other people. Now yeah. we see the whole moving toward um, from John chapter 1 with the incarnation of Jesus. Exactly. Right. <laughs> God becomes flesh. He moves toward us. Um, yep. You brought up the point that he had to go uh, through Samaria. I mean, the yeah. moving toward didn't start just at the well when yeah. he opened his mouth, right. but it started with his his mindset about how he wanted to live his life. He wanted to live his life in a way in which he's constantly moving toward people and people that's who so are good. different than yeah, him. Right. That's true too, ethnically, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean that that's there's something about that. Where are we intentionally putting ourselves mm-hmm. in places where we couldn't move towards people who are different than us? Right. Right. That's a challenge because we it just is. tend to want to hang around the people yeah. that are like us, yeah. economically, skin color, whatever it is. Sure. And gosh, we can get so comfortable in that place. And he, you're right, he was so intentional about. Um, that decision just to go through Samaria. Yeah. And his intentionality shocked her mm-hmm. and shocked the disciples. Exactly. And mm-hmm. sometimes we don't want, we're, we're too uncomfortable to live in that yeah. way um, because, it, I mean, it'll shock us or it'll shock the mm-hmm. ones People, around us. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's they'll criticize us. Yeah. You know, yeah. Criticism, sure. Jesus got criticized for the people he hung out with, right? Right. And that's um, the truth. Yeah. How convicting is that? That one of the main things that the disciples had a problem with in regards to Jesus is the people he's hanging out with. Oh my yes. gosh. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking that. I think that can be a blind spot for us. If we're really honest, we can be unaware of of individuals or, or groups in general that we're in, un, intentionally or not staying away or like you said maybe intentionally moving against but but keeping distance and i think two years ago when we were you know the whole racial movement mm-hmm. we had so many valuable conversations here and i think that was one of the main things for me is holy spirit helped me be aware of things that are a blind spot for me mm-hmm, that i'm mm-hmm. unaware that i'm being resistant to a you know a group of people that has X, Y, and Z situation about them and I'm not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that awareness thing is interesting in that story too because I just thought of this when you're saying that. When the disciples come back with food and he says, my food is, I have food you don't know about. And they, did he get lunch somewhere? You know, they, they immediately go inward and they, they totally miss what was happening in the moment. There was mm. something spiritual happening. He's having this conversation with this woman. Mm-hmm. And they're so focused on lunch. They're so focused on food. <laughs> 
that I wonder how many times is Jesus doing something and we're not exactly. We're so focused on our own needs being Mm -hmm. met or whatever. And he's saying, my food is to do the will of the father. This is, this is my primary objective. I don't care about lunch. I mean, at some level, that's what he's saying. The thing you're obsessing about, you're missing the whole point. My whole life is about this mission. The reason we're here in the middle of Samaria is about this mission. And all you guys can focus on is lunch. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, (laughs) there's that first step of awareness and then the second step of intentionality. Like what you brought up. He intentionally chose to do this. Yeah. But it all starts with with the awareness. I've always appreciated and been intrigued in this chapter, just the, the conversational... Um, ability that Jesus has with people, um, he he meets her where she is. Mm-hmm. You know, they're around a well. Um, he asks for a drink. There's, it's just the normal conversation. And yeah. sometimes when people have like talked about evangelism, it's so strong and it's so people lead so much with truth mm-hmm. that they immediately alienate before they ever can get to the point of right. sharing the greatness and the glory of Christ. And well, and they don't even get to the thirst part. Right. Where we get to, just got to share the truth, get the information across. But right. if the person is not aware of their thirst, mm-hmm. they're not interested in listening. Right. right. That principle works for all of us. Yes. Sales or whatever. Someone's trying to sell you something. If you don't think you have the need, you're not listening. Right. Exactly. And so I think there's something about that in this story that... Mm-hmm. You're right. When we lead with truth, um, and well, I'd like to go on the opposite of that because I I do find there are some people that lead with truth, mm-hmm. and it makes the ninety five the rest of us swing the pendulum on the other side. Okay, yeah. And, you know what I mean? We're, yeah, we're afraid course. to bring up anything. And I was just being convicted as you were talking of how often in conversations with people that are far from God or whatever, when we are in a conversation, I kind of become a people pleaser. Sure. In other words, I just kind of want to, oh, yeah, that would be so, right. you know, and kind of just agree with everything. But Jesus doesn't do that. That's true. He yeah. actually, in the conversation, he has the guts to add the courage to kind of say, um, you know, if you, the, or, or to even offer something different rather than, oh, yeah, that must you know, it must be hard coming to the well at noon by yourself. That must be, you know, instead of just that, he's like, hey, I got water. I could offer you water mm-hmm. that would satisfy a deeper thirst. When do I look for opportunities to say something like that in a conversation that's intriguing enough, but it's not just agreeing with everything they're saying mm-hmm. or being nice, you know, or whatever. It's actually mm-hmm. strategically... In the conversation, yeah, um, yeah, I'm thinking to a need that they have. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul says in Colossians that uh, in chapter four um, that we should speak. Um, let your speech be with um, grace, seasoned, seasoned as salt, a, though yeah. we're with salt. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the it demonstration. Is. Jesus yeah. is demonstrating is. what Paul is saying. Right. And I think that that's so helpful for us to learn and to embrace. And He's so intentional, oh. but in a very, he moves the conversation forward in different places, but in a very unoffensive way. Right, right. A very intentional way. Exactly. Yeah. And you're right, I don't know how to do that very well. I don't, I think, um, 
that would be helpful to think through and to grow in that. I, I think so too. Those are the transitions into yes. quote sharing the gospel. Right. And that that would be important for all of us to grow in. Yeah, I think yeah. there's such a key point that you touch on how how Jesus sees her, and it it's not the the one fits all formula. Right. He he starts a conversation that is very much related to where she's at in life, what she was doing at the moment. And it's just that sensitivity to, you know, to listen, to ask questions, and and then start introducing in compared to, you know, like I said before, he didn't lead with, hey, I'm the Messiah, although he could have, you know, he is interested in um sparking her interest and even with a word of knowledge about her life and she's like oh my gosh uh, oh my gosh who is this man you know i think it's different ways to yeah to spark that 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 desire that pursuit uh compared to you know just shoving something and well i i threw my seed i hope it works but but kind of prepping the soil a bit yeah Mm -hmm. i i had i was playing golf with someone a couple weeks ago and at some point, they asked what I did, and <clears throat> and then I, I, I at some later I said, "So, do you have any faith background or something like that?" An innocuous question, and the response was, "Yeah, well, we used we used to go to church, and but we haven't in a long time. We just didn't didn't like the clothing people wore and all this stuff." You know? <laughs> Interesting. And yeah. then, but I but I believe he said, and I I've thought about that because I was like, I just sort of nodded my head and just let that go, and I. I thought about later what what could I have said that mm. or a question I could have asked mm-hmm. that would have either one so tell me more what is what do you believe um, right. or, or or maybe something personal like yeah, I've just found that um, my relationship with Jesus is so meaningful to me that I you know I, I love to gather around other people I, I don't know mm-hmm. what right. I could have said, but, you know, looking back, I was like, I think I, I just let that opportunity just sort of slide when I didn't have to, but you need to go to church and you know, right. not that, but were there ways I could have asked another question or talked about my relationship with Jesus in a way that was, this person might be like, wow, I would love that. Right. We see that with uh, this woman, her response Right. Is leaving the jar and running to the village, yeah. and sharing her story. And you made the uh, you know the explicit point. It's not like she had had a class or no. a degree. Right. It was something that just sharing. came from her heart. Right. And I th- I think what oftentimes hinders us from sharing Christ with others is it's not that real in our own yep. lives. Mm-hmm. And if it's yes. not that real, it's not on the surface of our life, let alone not in the depths of our heart. And so it never comes out. Um, Gosh, that is a sad indictment. I think so. I mean, when you go to a movie that you love, you can't wait to tell anyone about it. When you have a good experience with... Hiking a mountain. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, I want to tell somebody. Go somewhere and have a great weekend, a great vacation. We're telling people about it. Exactly. What is it about our relationship with Jesus that we're not eager to do that it doesn't come naturally and i wonder if part of it is yeah what what is our relationship with jesus like like yeah is there Mm -hmm. enough inspiring us in that and that we're grateful for yeah 
or is it just kind of old hat for us, you know? Yeah. But we can't be too hard on ourselves because the disciples show up and they have, exactly. they're clueless about what, <laughs> and you would have thought that they would have said, yes, that's what Jesus does. He does that. He talks to everybody all the time, wherever he is, but he doesn't. No. I mean, they don't, they don't still. interpret it like yeah. that. Yeah. But I think you, you said a key word. It's uh, what is it about our relationship with Jesus? And I think what's difficult for for people is, you know, what are the what are the things you don't discuss? Politics, religion, right? What yeah. is it? in Brazil? It's, it's soccer. What is the third? You year? don't talk about soccer. No, you can't talk about soccer. What's the third thing here? Oh, it's fight. It's just like politics. I thought there were three here too. <laughs> oh. Anyway, politics, religion, money. The money. There you go. <laughs> I knew there was a third. Those are delicate topics. But then, if if you swap, you know, I think in in our minds maybe there's that fear of bringing mm. up the topic, right? Because it's complex. But if we are part of this movement that is painting a new picture, that it's not religion, it's a relationship, yeah. and it's, you know what I mean, try to bring the, the, the life and the, the, you know, not rituals and not a, a statement that you sign under, but the, the alive and active God I don't know. Yeah, I think it's hard to, you know, argue with someone's experience. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can make an argument. We can get into theological arguments around the Thanksgiving table when it's when it is religion. It's theological. What do you think of this issue or that issue? That's one thing, and that is kind of dangerous water sometimes. And sometimes we think, oh, that's sowing seed. I don't know if that it could be a little bit of sowing seed. But when it's this argumentative, I'm not sure how effective it is. But sure. but what if someone is sharing about their relationship with Jesus? Yeah. And how mm -hmm. in response to something coming up and, or some a topic that comes up and yeah, as I was praying, the you know, Jesus met me here or whatever it would be, that feels yeah. different to me. Yeah, because I can't say, Oh, that's not true. No, you, exactly. It's your story. Exactly. Yeah. No one was saying that didn't happen to you. They were right. in the storage woman at the well, they were like Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they're like, okay, let's go see this man. Yeah. You know? Especially That's when they good. knew <laughs> all that she had done. Exactly. It wasn't like it was hidden <laughs> no. to the rest of the community. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they followed up right away to see it. So That's pretty amazing uh, story. Yeah. There's so much you could talk about in this story. Because the transformation she experienced and... Even to go be willing to, in a place of shame to go share with people. Jesus must have impacted her in that encounter in such a way that her shame was gone. Yeah, think about courage yeah. to yeah. share right. about Jesus, she of all people. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't even, it wasn't like I got to muster up my courage and share about Jesus. It was so right. transformative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She couldn't help it. Yeah. So, gosh. Yeah. May we get there, you know, Maybe. and grow in that kind of passionate love for Jesus so that yeah, we just, agree. we're sowing seed wherever because of what he's done in our brokenness. He's met us in our brokenness. So, yeah. Comes from who we are rather than something that we're doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah. It was who Jesus is to yeah. share with people. Yep. And eventually the disciples get to that point and it's exactly. who they are and they're so transformed. Yeah. We see at Pentecost and 
all through the book yeah. of Acts. That's a good reminder. So we, got there. we can't, yeah. we can't <laughs> beat ourselves up all the time. <laughs> we'll get there. All right. By the grace of God, we get there too. Amen. Amen. So. Let, let's end there. Thank okay. you guys for joining us. And if you have other thoughts, if this conversation inspired other thoughts, let us know. We're always on the chat. You can go on our website, on social media, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us today. Have a good rest <laughs> of your day. Bye now.